Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Savior this morning. For our families, happy to be with you this morning. We come as a bit of a swap with Paul Krupp. For the month of February, he wondered if we could do a switch with Bible school complicating his schedule, so I was happy to do that for him. And I come this morning with a bit of a, of a unique subject, I guess, just jumping off with our devotions here. The phrase, the well is deep, stands out to me, and that indicates that Jacob's well had some depth that you needed a long rope and bucket to reach the bottom. I don't know how long. And I feel like my rope isn't as long as it ought to be this morning when it relates to the subject I've been looking at. Nonetheless, I would like to take our thoughts down the idea of assurance. And for for a title, I would say... I would say something like assurance of God's acceptance. And when looking at the subject, I, I know that there's a number of factors that relate to that. And that's where I feel like my well isn't very, or my rope isn't very long this morning. Because as we relate to assurance, the idea of conversion, heart conversion, is obviously basis for assurance. The the doctrine of Christ's atoning work on Calvary is is integral and basis for assurance and peace and rest. And so would like to get into this subject first off just doing a bit of a contrast and then considering our thoughts in relation to God's thoughts. Um, and then go on into some, maybe, maybe a little more practical interaction with our, our thoughts and our journeys of our thoughts with God. would like to begin with the verses from 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. All right, some some confidential statements here. We are the sons of God. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And this hope that purifies. Well, in contrast to that, we'd like to go to the Garden of Eden and the, the serpent and the tree and the couple on the ground. Um, Assurance, I believe, relates pretty directly to our thinking, our thought processes. 
And in, in trying to understand that, I was looking here in the third chapter of Genesis and the approach that the serpent had to Eve. Um, I think I will read the first few verses of chapter 3, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I'll I'll pause there. As you think of your life and your relationship with God, I'd like for us to just pause a little in our minds and try to imagine what it would be like to deal with no fear, no doubt, no worry, and no guilt. What would it be like to experience that? No fear, no worry, no doubt, no guilt. All those things that hammer away at assurance of God's acceptance. Well, the serpent had Eve's attention. And as she looked... Here at the fruit, it gives three characteristics of what, how it affected her. Good for food. So he appealed to the appetite. It's good for food. Pleasant to the eyes. He appealed to the, the um, another sense. And then it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. This must have appealed to her intellect, I, as I would look at that. Something that she would be advantaged in knowing if she did this. Personal advantage. Tree to be desired to make one wise. So she took. She took. She offered to Adam. And at that moment, I think assurance left, was gone. We find God coming in the cool of the day to them and calling to them and talking to them. And it seems like perhaps that was a, a normal process for God to meet with them daily. However that was, he came to them. But what were they doing? They were hiding guilt, fear, worry. What all happened there at the fall of man to impact man's view of God, um, 
God's view of man has been pretty comprehensive and pretty complete. God, God knows us. But man's view of God has been, I believe, directly affected by this, this fall. <clears throat> I like to consider uh, now some scriptures, and I invite you to follow along. I would like to first consider God's thoughts of man's thoughts. What does God think about what we think? <clears throat> does he think about that? Does he care about what I think? First Chronicles 28.9. We'll be jumping around a bit here. But First Chronicles 28.9, David's talking to Solomon and says to him this, And thou, Solomon, my son, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Here's the idea of God's complete understanding of my thoughts, and my imaginations, and all that goes through my mind. God's, God's aware of that. God has, God has the, the, the knowledge. It's not, it's not hidden from Him. <clears throat> uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 6. I don't think I'll read all this, but I will, I will take note of a number of things. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. As you understand, as God understands us, He compasses our paths. He's acquainted with our ways. Not even a word we speak, but that He would know it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And I can't understand a God that can understand all that. But I don't need to this morning. The, the knowledge that God has of our very innermost beings. Alright, Psalm 94 and 9-11 to 11 would, would argue God's knowledge of thoughts based on his creation. He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. And here it says that they are vanity. <clears throat> Does God care about what we think about? Another, another time in history, creation, not creation, excuse me, after creation, but another time in history in Genesis, you think about God and God's understanding of man and what man's thoughts were 
in correlation or in contrast to God's will. At the, at the flood, it says that man's thoughts were only evil continually. Turn to Isaiah 55 now, 6 to 9. I'll include from verse 6. Yeah, verses 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. On the basis of superiority, God doesn't subject himself to being on our level. He, he clearly indicates we will not understand him. <clears throat> As the heavens are higher than the earth, so far is he beyond our imagination. And then finally, Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's thoughts toward us. As I think about the subject of assurance, I think my understanding of God plays a key role in the level of assurance I experience in my heart. And so I'd like to consider how do we think of God's thoughts? What is man's perception of what God thinks about. Just a couple of verses here from Psalms. 40 and verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. My understanding of God's thoughts towards us, they are wonderful. They are to us word. They cannot be counted. <clears throat> 92 verse 5 says, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Further, Romans 11. I'd like to pick up these verses yet before going on. 
Romans 11:33 following oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. I think of the idea of trust in a God that I cannot understand. When I come to the, to the subject of assurance, doubt in my life, doubt in my mind, relates to trying to understand um, what I can't understand. And that will delay or conflict with my pursuit of just accepting God's work, I believe. And, oh, the depth of the riches, how unsearchable are his judgments towards you and towards me, that is something to just accept. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. Um, even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us. Before we could respond. <clears throat> All right, I'd like to consider a couple of two, three-letter words and the the import that they have on, on assurance. Those two words are the words let and the words set. Let and set. And the first one, let, I take from Philippians 2. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word let is very simple. In fact, it's almost uh, so simple that it's hard to, to understand what all it what all it means. Here's a few things. Allow, permit, give permission to, give leave to, authorize, sanction, grant the right to, warrant, license, empower, enable, entitle, assent to, consent to, agree to, acquiesce in, accede to, approved, tolerate. And the words go on and on. Let. Let this mind be in you. I found it interesting to think about the word let as you think about instructions from Scripture that have it in. Let would give us the idea of just accepting it. Just allowing it to be a part of us. Is there nothing more for me to do than, than let let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
And yet I believe it's a powerful word. In a sort of in a discreet way. Because when it comes to my mind, letting the mind of Christ grab me or strengthen me or influence me, let becomes a road of decision or a point of decision. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Speaks of allowing or opening the door to change. It seems like it should take a significant decision on my part to allow this process to happen, and yet it just says let. I think maybe that is a significant decision. Because as I, as I, am reminded of Christ's desire to touch my thoughts, what is there? Immediately there's resistance. To change me? To change my thought? Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? It says here, verse 6. He had so much more to lose to change from heaven to earth. He had far more um, cost involved to give up the form of God as he experienced it in heaven to condescend to earth, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man. And so to let that be my experience, to let it, I think is a choice, a significant choice. Let this mind, which mind? Well, it, it it is following after the mind of humility here, that Christ took on. I believe it's the path to assurance to take this on. I believe it is the path to assurance of God's acceptance. To exercise the mind of Christ. To entertain opinions that relate to and and follow the pattern of Christ. To have my moral interests and reflections following this path that Christ chose. To be mindful of what he was mindful of. I also appreciated the reminders of awareness of needs about us this morning. Because in this path, he became servant to Obedient to his father. Let this mind be in. And in takes, uh, it replaces. And that's what I was referring to in this context where I think it is a 
distinct choice that I make for my thoughts to be replaced by my my fallen thoughts to be replaced by the the mental the the mind thinking the pattern of that that Christ left I think that is a choice to actually let it replace. And maybe in a small way, it can be likened to a spark plug. Thinking of the thoughts that motivate our lives, that motivate our actions and words. They are what, what words are formed from, from, what actions are formed from. And I recently picked up a, a used saw, chainsaw, and and took a risk in doing so because you don't know what you're going to get. But I thought it could depend on, was assured of, the brand. But it didn't run very good. It ran rough. Poor idle. <clears throat> and I, I suppose that there's more things needed than what I did to it, but I replaced a spark plug in it. And that made a very noticeable difference. And that spark is what really creates the power that then enables function and performance. And the spark, it needed a new one. It needed replacement The old one was fouled. The old one was not functioning well. And I believe that in the processes of our thoughts, finding assurance of God's acceptance in our lives, there is something about faith in letting him replace what I, what I am, and, and letting it become who he is. Letting the power source change and shift to let it actually replace. And finally, to be in me, it says. <clears throat> finally become a part of us. Well, it's by choices of letting. And secondly, the word set the power of the word set. Colossians 3, 1 to 3, familiar verses, yet I'm going to read them. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The power of the word set. Um, first of all, we considered let and how it, it seems so simple. And set is much like that. So, so almost elementary to, to make a decision to set something in a particular direction, to be disposed in a particular direction, to exercise the mind, have the sentiment or opinion <clears throat> 
But again, it's a decision, isn't it? To place my interests in a line that correlates with God's interests. To set my affection. I was thinking through this and trying to think of an illustration, and this is rather simple. But I enjoy I enjoy fishing. Don't get a lot done. I enjoy it. And come February of every year, of most years, there's a particular fish that comes in from the ocean and makes its journey up up the rivers, Columbia first and then the tributaries. And it's just a small fish. And you don't you, you use nets to to bring them in rather than fishing poles. They're they're the smelt. And smelt come up the river in schools. So there's hundreds of thousands of these things traveling up the river in a short period of time. And I enjoy I enjoy following the smelt run and seeing if they open it up for a a um, recreational time where anybody can go and get. Um, this year, I didn't really have opportunity to go if I, if I wanted to. Life is that way. And so, my affection, well, I, I kind of enjoy doing it. And as I as I got into it, you know, maybe there'll be more chance in March. But I found in my experience, this, this, isn't, this is rather a simple illustration, but I found in my experience that to set my desires second to God's desires is an assuring process. It brings assurance to our hearts to be able to set mine second to God's. It's fine. It it can be. In fact, it must be. And I enjoy doing that. Set. Um, Maybe Romans 6 helps us further with with this thought. Romans 6 um, comes in the... In the doctrinal study, grace, faith, justification. And it begins with the words, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And obviously, God forbid, indeed not. I, I, think, I'll, I think I'll read a few of these verses. I'd like to note particularly two words, and they are reckon and yield. Reckon and yield. So take note of those as, as we go through here. Um, verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So, 
I'll pause there. So this death that's happening would be the the conversion time where where we place ourselves in in submission to Christ and and death to sin to the sin nature. Okay, it doesn't just stay at conversion. It that sanctification follows us. The process follows us. And yet, I think he's talking about the process here as we go through the through the through the verses. Um, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Well, how is that accomplished? How is the, the walking in life becoming an ongoing experience? Okay, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Reckon. The first word, reckon. Reckon ye also to be dead and to be alive. Now, The subject of assurance being in our thoughts, I think that there's a a part for God and a part for me to accomplish in that. And there's obviously many things that can contribute. But reckoning is a personal choice of belief about who I am before God. I believe that reckoning is an important point in this passage. The reality is we have yielded to Christ. We have given ourselves to Him. The reality is We live a new life. And to count that, to count it as being your and my experience, I think is a significant choice in assurance. Reckon. To count. To calculate. To consider. That my life is... Because I have yielded to him, my life is alive in God. Secondly, yielding. Yielding my members. And I think that that starts in the mind, in the heart, in our thoughts. Yielding ourselves to God. A brother in our group just recently said, he said, um, Something like, remember that the strength of temptations directly relate to the strength of our weakness or to the, to the depth of our weakness. In other words, the amount of weakness I experience in my flesh will directly correlate to the strength of the temptation when it comes to me. If I, if I find that 
that weakness has died and is not strong anymore, the temptation won't be as strong. And I've thought about that since, and I think that that's quite true. Yielding myself as members to God weakens the temptation and strengthens the assurance. Let and set. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that spiritual things are conveyed through the spirit of man. And here's, here's several ways that I think of in understanding and pursuing assurance in our hearts and in our minds. 1 Corinthians 2, I'll read a few verses from here. Um, but God hath revealed them. So Paul is talking about wisdom from God that is not understood by the physical man, but God hath revealed them the wisdom of, of himself to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? And so, I believe that that is directing us to the fact that we don't know each other's thoughts. And the inner part of us is only known by the spirit part of us. And so, the deep things of God, how is He going to reveal them to our hearts and minds? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Understanding the Spirit of God through our spirits. Being taught in our thoughts. It is the Spirit that confirms that we are His children and assures us in our spirits of His acceptance. Um, First John, chapter three. John speaks of assurance and understanding. I think he also speaks of not not understanding everything and still being assured. 
1 John 3.19 Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. It mentions here, if our heart condemn us. The inner self-condemnation, not from not from sin that is present, but from doubts that Satan plants, I believe is what he's talking about here. We, we understand the heart must be cleansed. But assurance is often compromised or, or competes with doubts in our minds related to assurance. Do we? Are we? And John here just confirms that God is greater than our hearts. And a heart that is yielded to the Spirit of God can accept God's speaking of His approval in us. That's a, that's a choice as well. A choice to accept His acceptance even in the face of what we know about ourselves, if we are at peace with Him, if we have come to Jesus at the cross. <clears throat> well, the, the writer to Philippians said, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. May God's presence be your portion as you understand his speaking to your heart in assuring ways of sonship and being his child that the the peace would keep and guard from the onslaughts the temptations the attacks that satan would have to destroy it may the lord bless you as you Find him your peace.